It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of the murder of two girls. Anyone who follows the Delphi murders will remember the night of December 6th, 2021 when the Indiana State Police released a confusing statement asking for information from people who had communicated with the Anthony Schatz social media account. The very next day, Wish TV reporter Demi Johnson revealed the crucial detail that the ISP held back, that the Anthony Schatz account was linked to an Indiana man named Kegan Klein. It was one of many great stories Demi did on the Delphi case, More recently, you may have seen an interview she did with Carrie Timmons, the mother of Liberty German, in which Carrie revealed she has lost faith in the ability of law enforcement to bring this case to a conclusion. 
Demi has now left Wish TV and is preparing to move to Orlando, Florida, where she will be working for WFTV. Before she left Indiana, she agreed to speak with us about her experiences covering this case, including just how she got that scoop about Kegan Klein. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet. And this is the Delphi Murders, a conversation with journalist Demi Johnson. Demi started by telling us about the beginning of her career in journalism. It really started, you know, during the whole Delphi situation. I was finishing up at Ball State, started working in West Lafayette at the CBS affiliate there, WLFI. And that station was, you know, the only station in town at the time. I think they have a couple... um, other things there now, but that we were the only ones. So, you know, it was like, that's all we covered for several months and it wasn't all in all the time, but it was something seemed like at least every week we would be, you know, checking in, following up, reaching out. And then after I spent two years there, which a lot unfolded, the 2019 sketch presser, all of those different things happened during that time. Um, I just moved to Indy to wish. And of course we still covered it. So really it was just taking my career from one part of the state to the other, but still really being all in on that case. And a lot of the connections I made, not just with law enforcement, but with families um, of the girls and friends of the girls was during my time in West Lafayette. So I really have to to give credit to that because had I not been there working in the community that people in Delphi were comfortable with, I probably would have never made those connections that I was able to to use to help uncover things in the case during my time at Wish. And and you know, you were on the ground as you said in West Lafayette, you know, this time like and and from what you saw there and what you've seen since could you speak a bit to, you know, how what this case has meant to the community there? Uh, honestly, I just got chills. But honestly, it's just, it was scary for people because nobody knew anything. 
nobody knew what happened. They just knew that two girls, two teenagers went outside because it was nice out and then nobody could find them. And then when they did, they were dead. So people were scared. And it, every time you went to Delphi, I always said it, it felt like almost like it was the day after the murders. It was always eerie for several years. And I don't feel like, in my opinion, I, I don't feel like that changed until maybe last year when I went back. It kind of seemed like things were bright and back to normal and people were kind of living life. But it, there's always a reminder because the posters are up, the girls' photos are up. So it's just this constant fear, I think, that people are living with the fear of the unknown, not knowing who did it and if he's still out there, if he's working at a shop down the street or, you know, if he's going to the grocery store with you every day. I think there's still some uneasiness in the community for sure. And then I guess, would you be able to speak to some of your journalistic methods and sort of like what your process was and, and you know, covering these cases? throughout, you know, the different outlets you've worked at, but like what sort of um, things would you do to make sure you're staying on top of it, getting scoops, things like that? I would say in the very, very beginning, a lot of information I got, which wasn't much, but a lot of information I got was just from the community and, fam and the families, just staying in touch with them, checking in with them, not even for the story, but just to make sure that they're okay. And they would say, hey, just letting you know, you know, we heard this. Don't know if you can check into it. Then over time, I think there were a couple of agents. Some of them are now retired. Some of them are still on the case um, who kind of noticed that I was always calling. I was always calling the state police post. How many tips have you received? What do you know? Has Have you learned anything? And it was like probably once a month I would do that. And they would usually say no. They wouldn't tell me anything new. Um, and I think a couple of them noticed that I was not going to go away and they appreciated it and they started to share things with me. Um, and that led to me looking into other things and it was all, you know, legal by the book, just looking into documents in different counties, looking into names of certain people. Um, and then in 2019 at Wish, I covered something with the Larry Nasser case. So I got to know a couple FBI agents pretty well who worked with the Child Sex Crimes Unit. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but um, they were on that unit. So they were familiar with the Larry Nasser case and the Delphi case all kind of went hand in hand. And they investigated, you know, social media accounts, things like that. So then some of those agents shared things with me. And that's really how a lot of the things I uncovered with the Kagan Klein profile, uh, the Anthony Schatz profile made by Kagan Klein, um, that's how all of that kind of happened. It's just by me hearing something and then looking into it and then finding the documents to back up whatever they said. We want to ask you, because this was, I mean, this was for us sort of the moment that we learned so much more about this case and and for everyone really and it was some some of your reporting in December um revealing you know who the Anthony Schatz uh, account was linked to this this person Kagan Klein and that just that blew our minds that was an incredible scoop so ma major props but also um is there anything more you can tell us about how you got that you know huge piece of news that has really sort of 
the reverberations of with have kind of echoed throughout the case ever since. Without going into too much detail, I can just say that more than one source shared the name Kagan Klein with me. And then I looked him up and all of the, all of, that part blew my mind. All of the information was right there. And I said, how did nobody find this five years ago? Um, but that's, that's what happened. I just searched his name in Indiana, my case, which is something anyone can do. And everything that I needed to know was there. So. Well did, done. <laughs> very well done. Uh, did the police give you any blowback about releasing that Kagan Klein information? No, I wouldn't say that. They just wouldn't answer any questions about it, which I'm sure you guys know. You've done the same thing I have, reached out, asked questions. And I said, you know, I know that it was the day after they put the Anthony Schatz information out. I said, I know who made that account. And I know he's been in jail for all these years. Do you want to set the record straight? If not, I'm, I'm going to put his name out and I'm going to put the story out. And they just said, we're not going to comment. So to me, that meant go ahead. <laughs> and, and you mentioned it kind of earlier. It's, it seems like, you know, you've gotten, you've been great about getting some law enforcement sources and kind of, and having that, um, Overall, what has been the law enforcement reaction to your reporting in general? Has it been generally supportive or people, has, the, has there been blowback? Is it kind of a, a mix? I would say it's been kind of a mix. Um, nobody has said anything to me that has been, you know, unprofessional or, or told me not to do something. I think the bigger issue has just been the silence. It's just been, we're not going to say anything or they just don't respond at all. And when they do that, then it's like, we tried, but you didn't say anything. So if you're not going to say anything, we're going to. And I think something that I've thought about for a long time with the Anthony shots and the Kagan Klein stuff, to me, I really contemplated keeping that to myself and not putting it out at all. But to me, it helped the community because for so many years you had families who were afraid to let their kids play outside because they thought that there was just a random killer killing kids and that wasn't the case and I don't know I'm not you know uh, I'm not in law enforcement so I don't know what the method behind keeping that profile secret for five years I don't know how that's going to help them because I've heard that it's only given them more tips and more leads and more victims and more people. So, you know, to me, I feel like that was important for the community to know. And I think they should have known five, five years ago. When those memories might've been more fresh, you know, if you're a teenager who's talking with someone sketchy online and, Oh, well, maybe you're putting two to two together, but maybe then you go off to college and you forget all about that. Do you have any insights as to why they kept that information under wraps for so long? I don't. I don't, and I've been trying to figure that out. And the stuff that you guys uncovered with, you know, the Ron Logan stuff as well. I'm, I just don't know why they would wait. I've heard rumors, and these are only rumors, that part of it was to protect the girls' image because they were young and um, people in law enforcement didn't want them to look bad because they were talking to someone online but those are just rumors. So I don't know if that's true. Right. And, and um, in terms of, you know, 
like one thing that we've noticed in particular is just the public reaction to this case. You mentioned people not wanting their kids to play outside. There's also this huge online community that's arisen looking for answers. Uh, what's been your experience with that and what, you know, the public reception to some of your reporting and you digging into this? You know, some people have been really thankful. This this makes sense. This answers this question. Now I know this. Now I understand that. But just like you guys, I've had, you know, people say really nasty things too. Like, why are you sharing this if police never shared this? And, you know, this isn't appropriate. And some of the other things that people have said have been a little bit more mean, but it's just, you. that happens with every story. I think the difference with this one is it just, it really does have global attention. It's not just people in Indiana who care. Um, there are people all over the world who are trying to solve this case on their own every day. It, yeah, the, the, the kind of the online sleuthing community, it's all over it. And and one thing you, you mentioned, and we've, we've heard that a lot, you know, um, you know, there's this perception perhaps that the media, media outlets and the police need to be on lock, in lockstep with everything. And, you know, as a journalist, as someone who's, who's worked in a variety of different outlets, what's your thought on that? And, and sort of how do you sort of explain to people that, you know, separation <laughs> in that sphere is perhaps, you know, more ideal? I, I do think that there are things with this case in particular that police could be more transparent about because at this point it's been five years a year into it I can understand them holding some things back and not sharing things but I think after all of this time they have to answer some questions like we don't even know why there are two different sketches there are so many things that people just want to know and I think that if they could clear it up and we could help them clear it up and explain it, then maybe people would know how to help police. And that's just that's just my opinion and my thoughts and being someone who's looked at it for so long. You know, I don't think the media needs to know everything. I've never thought that. But I do think that we need to hold people accountable. And if they're withholding information that could help the public help them, that's a problem. And it seems like that's been the case when you think about the social media profile, the sketches and all of the unanswered questions about why and what did you find that made you change your mind and why hold this profile back and share this name but not tell us that someone's already in jail for it, especially if they don't believe he's connected, which is what they have said. I don't know. I just think that, you know, being able to go to the media and say, hey, this is what you should say, and this is how you can say it, you're not going to hurt the case, but still keeping things back for the investigation. I mean, to me, that's part of being a good police officer. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin. 
or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's roco slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, going back to the Kagan Klein news that you broke, um, how did that scoop affect your understanding of the case? (laughs) Um, Honestly, it just blew my mind because when you when you see what police put out, you see his charges and you find out that there was, you know, communication and that he did talk to the girls, you're like, it had to be him, right? And you read the documents and it talks about, you know, them tracking IP, the IP address to his house, the day of the murders and the different conversations they had. Um, and you look at it and you're like, how is it not this guy? So I think for me, that was tough. But then, you know, credit to you guys, the Ron Logan thing makes it seem like the FBI is looking one way and state police are looking another way. And it none of it makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, I think our, our what we found is that, you know, I think the Ron Logan thing's interesting as a, as a snapshot of where they were in March 2017. But then I think your reporting really brings us more of to the modern day of like 2020 onward. What's the focus? It's it's um it's Keg and Klein, you know, right. and that's that's been our understanding. But uh, there's been a lot of speculation online about, you know, virtually every aspect of this case. And one thing I've seen speculated is that the entire reason 
Indiana State Police even made a statement about the Anthony Schatz profile and did it, you know, late in, in the evening was because you already had that scoop and were preparing to run it. Uh, is that true? Not entirely, no. Um, I knew, I've known for a long time that the girls were communicating with someone but I didn't know who, I didn't know the extent of the profile. I didn't know the name of who, and I didn't know someone was already in jail. Um, but I had been told, and that's something that's always been so shocking to me is the families didn't even know. Families didn't even know that the girls were talking to anyone and planning to meet with someone. And I always ask them, I'm like, does that bother you? That police haven't told you all of these things about the day they were murdered, the moments leading up to their murders, they're like, no, we trust them. And that's good. That's good to have that relationship between the families and law enforcement. But I just think if I were in their shoes, I would want to know everything. And I don't know. I think that that part has always really, really bothered me. Like, why not tell them that they were talking to someone online? Because maybe the family knew something about maybe... One of the girls had been in trouble for it before. I don't know. You never know. Or there were some warning signs, perhaps, you know, like secrecy or something going on that, you know, in hindsight, oh, now I can connect the dots. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to to get your take on sort of, you know, if you if, you know, you're, you're kind of you're um, leaving Indiana um, if you if you weren't, though, are there any angles or kind of lines of questioning that you'd sort of perhaps, you know, as a reporter want to be going down or kind of have on the horizon for what you would do next? Yeah, I I think the biggest two questions and they're ones that we the three of us have asked before is I would want to know why they waited to search Ron Logan's property, because think about all of the evidence that someone could cover up in that time. And then why there was, why they waited with, with Kagan Klein. What was the point of, of waiting? You know, he went, he was free for three years. They interviewed him. He admitted, yeah, I made this count. Yeah. I did all of these things on this account. And then they didn't arrest him. So what do they have that makes them law enforcement, that makes them not want to go after him harder or to just let him walk free for all of those years. And what do they have that makes them think there's no possible way that Ron Logan's property could have played a role besides that's just where the bodies were found? There seem to be an awful lot of unexplained delays in this case. And I, I think we're really interested in that angle, too, of, you know, especially in the case of Kagan Klein, you have somebody where you have them seemingly dead to rights for child sexual abuse materials. So really raises questions about, you know, why isn't he being brought in on that alone, you know, in 2017 as opposed to 2020? I guess the other thing I just thought of is who else are they looking at? Because I was told in the very beginning when I learned about Kagan Klein that he's not the guy. He just knows who it is or is part of it. So 
to me, it's like, who do they know it is or who do they think it is? And why can't they go after that person? What's missing? And was it a mistake by law enforcement? Did they make mistakes along the way? Are there any widespread misunderstandings about the case that you've encountered during the time that you reported on it? Mm, I would say it's only for me, it's only been things that law enforcement has said versus what the media has said. And sometimes it's just, again, law enforcement not answering questions and not saying anything. And then the media finds something out. We report it, we put it out. And then people are like, there's no way this can be true. Wish TV doesn't know what they're talking about. But when you have the the documents and the paper trail, I, I think that's been the biggest thing. It's just, I've told state police that even if you can't say anything, you need to come out and say, we can't say anything on camera because it looks really bad every time we uncover something and nobody says anything because it makes it seem like, I don't know. I think it makes the community lose confidence and that's the opposite of what they should want. But again, I'm not in law enforcement. I don't, I don't know what their method is. So. Yeah. You, you spoke recently with uh, Liberty German's mother and she seems to have lost confidence in the police. Yeah. She told me that she, that started for her the day they called off the search. So they didn't find the girls' bodies that day or the girls, we didn't know they were dead yet. They called off the search and she said, if they were out there and they're gonna lay out there for 24 hours and we don't find them, we're not gonna ever know what happened. And she said, nobody really listened. And she felt like I want I want to stay out and keep searching all night. And she said, law enforcement said, you know, there's no, there's no reason to. So she told me it started then, but then she started to have some hope when things would come out, like the sketches, different press conferences. She said, every time police would talk, I would feel a little better. She said, then they stopped talking. Then they would release something, but they wouldn't answer questions. And then the media would say one thing and then police wouldn't say anything. And she said, at this point, I just don't, I don't have faith. I don't think that they're gonna get it done. She told me that she thinks It's going to take the work of journalists or possibly a private investigator to get it done. But she said that she doesn't think that a private investigator could ever be successful because state police will not share information with them. She said she's looked into hiring one before. Well, you know this investigation and the people working on it better than almost anyone. Do you feel confident in the job they're doing? Hmm. That's a tough question. (laughs) I think I, I do, I feel confident in the work they're doing, but I do think that there have been mistakes made that I don't know if we'll ever know what those are. I don't know if we'll ever get the answers to them, but that's what, if I were still working in Indiana, that's what I would be trying to figure out is who messed what up, where and how. Because the the timeline doesn't make sense. No, and you can you elaborate on that. Well, when you look at just again, the focus of the investigation in 2017, it was the property owner, it was Ron Logan, but it was also this social media profile. 
And if you have this social media profile that one group is looking into and you have the property owner that the FBI is looking into and then nothing happens to either of them. And then three years later, they go back and they arrest the social media, the guy for the social media profile. It just doesn't it doesn't add up. It's like, what were they doing in, in the middle of that time? And what did they have that made them speculate one or the other way? And what didn't they have that didn't allow them to arrest both of them? I don't know. It just, to me, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that just don't line up. We were wondering if you had any support journalists um, who are covering the case on what to look for or, you know, what to avoid doing any sort of um, tips or, or thoughts or insights about that. Well, Number one is just be respectful to the families. I mean, I always, not only do I always ask law enforcement, you know, do you have a problem with this? I also ask the families because there are things that they don't want to know and they don't want to see and they don't want to find out by watching the news. And usually if police know we're going to put something out, they let the family know, which is good. But I think being respectful is huge. Um, in terms of finding sources and finding information, I'm not going to lie. I feel like those days are over in this case because you, I think you can still find information. And I think we have enough information now where things are going to unfold on their own just by you guys looking into it, other people looking into it. But I feel like you know, I was told that all of the detectives who were originally on the case, there may be only one or two still on it. They replaced the whole team. So that's hard because you don't have any of those original people who might be frustrated and might go to a, the media and say, hey, you should put this information out. Um, because that's how some of these big stories, you know, get broken is someone in law enforcement is frustrated and, and they want the world to know that they they are working and hear all these things they do know. So I think with that, it doesn't hurt to stay on top of it. It doesn't hurt to constantly call and check in and say, hey, can you can you tell me how many, even if it's simple, how many tips do you have? How many tips are you looking into right now? And just being friendly and act and, and showing that you care, I think people will respect that and share information with you when the time is right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, those angles that I said are, are the most important right now, just trying to figure out what's missing and why, I don't know. And, and I guess kind of going off on a tangent, but I guess the other thing is like with the Kagan Klein situation and the Anthony Schatz profile, it really does seem like they're looking at two people, at least, maybe more. And if they're looking at two people and they have proof that one phone was in one location the day of the murders, one computer device was in another, how can they not figure out who was at each place at that time? I don't know. So... I think it's important too to to go back and reread things a lot. That's what I, that's something I did toward the end of my time is I would go back and reread all of the documents, all of the arrest documents, 
and just say like, what is missing here? And who could this be? And how could this be? So I think it's like school. You just got to keep studying and keep reaching out. One final question, just, um, you know, actually kind of a two-parter. <laughs> it, um, basically, what what do you think this case needs to get solved? And then also, if you could speak to what the case means to you personally, having covered it for so long. So I think that at this point, unless there's some big piece of information that I don't know about, it probably is going to take an admission of guilt. Either somebody comes forward and says, you know, I did it, or somebody says, hey, I know that it was this person because I have this proof. To me, that's the point we're at, unless law enforcement has information that they're just not putting out, which I'm sure they do. So that's where my head is at. I don't want it to be there. I want it to be like, no, we have this person and we're just missing this one thing. Um, But I just am at a point where I'm like, I don't know. I think that someone is going to have to know something, someone who's not in law enforcement. And they're going to have to have the courage to go to law enforcement and say, here's what I know. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but that's just where I'm at at this point. I feel like I've hit like all the dead ends. Um, And I don't know, maybe, maybe when I don't work in Indiana anymore and somebody you know, gets mad again, they'll call me and I'll be able to understand it all. And then I'll call you. But at this point, it's just kind of like, I I don't know where it's going or where it could go. And I would say it's been hard to cover it. Like I, I always told myself in the beginning, like, it's easy when you get big breaks and you're covering a big story to kind of take it all in and feel proud of yourself and be happy with the work you've done. But to me, I I always said, you don't want to be that person because these are real people who lost their children and they're never going to get to go to prom. They're never going to get to graduate high school. They're never going to go to college. And just remember that even though you're getting all this attention and all these pats on the back, There are people sitting in their house right now just totally losing it because once again, their kids' murders are constantly in the news. They can't escape it even if they want to. And I think that, you know, it's been hard. It's always been a very emotional struggle. I would go to work. I'd be really excited. I have this new information. I was going to put it out and then I'd come home and I would just cry because I'm like, Should I have done that? Am I hurting someone? Am I making it harder for police to solve the case? So I think it's just, it's very emotional work. And I think that's important for journalists to remember. Um, But always stick to your guns. And if you feel like something isn't right, then look into it. Because that's kind of how I felt. Somebody wasn't saying something and somebody was law enforcement. And it's it's their job to answer questions and they can do it in a way where they don't ruin the case. So I don't know. It's, it's been very like back and forth, very emotional. Some days feels good. Some days it doesn't. And yeah, I I think that's the best way to, to describe it. I'm sure you guys have felt similar sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. This has been emotional. Yeah. It's been, it's been a lot uh, more so than any 
other case almost. Yeah, I've said that. I've said to my to just people in my family and friends that usually I can go to work, do my job, turn it off, and remember that, you know, I have to do it again the next day. But this one is definitely different. And I I don't know if it's because everybody around the world is waiting for us to answer their questions or and then at the same time they're there you know criticizing everything we did i don't i don't know what it is but i think also just the sensitivity of two young girls and they were you know i i hate to use words like this but they were brutally murdered and i think it's just scary for people to think about what happened and how it happened and why it happened We want to thank Demi for taking the time to speak with us this week, even as she was busily preparing to move to Florida. She's done terrific work on this case, and we wish her the best of luck on the next stage of her career at WFTV in Orlando. If you have information that you'd like to share with us about Logan, the Kleins, or the Delphi case in general, then email murdersheet at gmail.com. We protect our sources. If you need to get in contact with police about this case, email your tip to Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com or call the tip line at 765 822 3535. To our surprise, We've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.